are you sick? Oh, no, no, I'm fine. I feel great. Just ordered some more vitamins and stuff. I was just exercising. I taped 20-minute workout on my machine and played it back at high speed, so it only took 10 minutes. I got a great workout. Good. You want to come in for a mineral water or something? Oh, I'd really like to, um, Louis, but I have to go to rehearsal now. Excuse me. No sweat. I'll take a rain check on that. I always have plenty of low-sodium mineral water and other nutritious foods in the house, but you already know that. Is It Really? The podcast that challenges popular opinions about movies. I'm Brandon Sharp, and back off, man. I'm a scientist. There is no Zach, only Zool. <laughs> and I'm Mitch Dupree, and I want to know more about that big Twinkie. And tonight we're going to do our best not to get slimed as we watch Ghostbusters and ask, why does busting ghosts make us feel good? I blame myself. I blame you too. Zach, why don't you give us the synopsis for Ghostbusters? Yes. Let's do it. When there's something strange in the neighborhood, you call the authorities. But when they're spooky going down, you call up the Ghostbusters. Who are they? A ragtag team of three former parapsychology professors and Ernie Hudson who've set up shop dealing with supernatural threats. They only have one rule. Never cross the streams. But when a 300-foot marshmallow monster threatens to destroy Manhattan, will the busters break their one rule? Well, even if you've never seen this movie, if I ask, who are you going to call? Most people will tell you. Ghostbusters! Yeah, I felt it in my body. Yeah. I was like, Ghostbusters! <laughs> That's who you're going to call. Most people, most people will tell you you're calling the Ghostbusters. That's right. Is Ray Parker Jr.'s goal-smashing anthem the most iconic movie song of all time? I want to just make a couple things clear real quick. Uh, we're talking movie songs here, not musical numbers. And we did best scores a few weeks ago. So we are steering away from those areas a little bit and focusing on movie songs. Movie songs. And one step. Yeah, movie songs. And one stipulation for me would be uh, when I hear the song, the movie is the first thing I think about. Is that mm-hmm. what you guys are thinking right now? Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, for sure. You know, movie songs. I'm just going to keep repeating. Movie songs. <laughs> movie songs. <laughs> I'll keep wording it different ways and you just. <laughs> <laughs> like that when I whenever I hear the the song, I have to think about the movie. Like it's it's a must. Yes. It's a must. It's important. Yes. Yeah, it's important. Well, let's throw it over to Facebook. Hey-o. As we've been doing. I've enjoyed this. Have you guys enjoyed this? I've enjoyed it. It makes the A block much easier for me. Yes. Man, less work. Let's just <laughs> outsource true. this whole podcast. Please. Uh, <laughs> what do y'all think about the movie? Good? We're done. <laughs> well, Carrie O'Brien says Power of Love. Yes. It gives me hypes. This this song like just makes me feel like a summer day. Power of love. Like I'm skateboarding. Like, you know, it's it's it makes you happy. Power of Love is from what movie? I should have done my homework here. What are we? Ooh, well, that knocks it out for you, doesn't it? If you don't, if you Back have to, to the future, Brandon. Yeah. Okay. A movie we just watched for the show, by the way. I know, like a week ago. <laughs> I feel like we just watched it. It's the first song. 
So, like, there are other things I would think about in Back to the Future before I would oh, think about Power of Love. Johnny B. Good. Probably Johnny B. Good. Would excuse you. Honestly, probably it's Johnny B. Good It's bad enough Marty McFly steals that from Chuck Berry. Now we have to steal it, too. <laughs> Earth okay. Angel. Earth Angel. <laughs> yeah, it's very good. It's very good. James Eller says, my heart will go on. I know this one from Titanic. Mm. Mm. Yes. What a, what a glorious It's iconic. That everything. doesn't mean it's good. Stop this. Zach's, Zach's just a naysayer. He loves to hate. Loves to yes. hate. Yeah, you know me. He's sipping on that haterade. Whenever Zachary I listen Michaels. to a song, I think, gosh, I hope this is bad. Yeah, what's wrong what's with What's the it? problem with Titanic or the song? What do you... Name one problem. What are you referencing? I grew up in, in an era, as we all probably did, where this song was unescapable. It was everywhere. The power of this song was ubiquitous. You could not get away from that. I didn't want to get away from it. That's Every the, piano. That's the amazing grace of pop music. But continue. <laughs> Every sure. piano that you would buy that would have like those pre-programmed songs that you could learn. That was always song number one. So it's just kind of like years and years and years of not being able to get away. That finally I was like, I I can't hear you know, this Zach, song anymore. Every Sunday at church, I sing the doxology. That doesn't mean the doxology is a bad song. <laughs> the it doxology just means I sing it every the, week. The doxology is oh thirty my. seconds long. My heart will go on is like six minutes. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Well, Corinne Dupree listed a few here, but the first one she said was "The Time of My Life," mm. and I do believe that is from "Dirty Dancing." Now correct. Thank you, Zach. Time Very good. of my life. That's not terrible. That was decent. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I I think like there's like an era of rom com. Not it's not. I I almost don't think of it as a rom com. Like it's just a rom. Does it make you think of the movie though? Does it make you think of the movie? It, yeah, it does. I, I will say of the song though, I can't sing anything other than just that. Now I've had, and I know ah. that there's more to the song. I just can't sing it. Because do, I don't do, remember do, it. Do, 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 do. I feel like it no. made an appearance on my mother's favorite soft rock channel in oh, the yeah. 90s. So oh, good. I think that's probably Light 100. I think that's probably where I heard that song the most. <laughs> Emily Manrique says, Eye of the Tiger. This is the big boy. Yeah. This is the one I wanted to talk about. Eye of the Tiger from Rocky 3. It has mm-hmm. to get a high ranking for us, I feel like, because... When I think of Eye of the Tiger, I just think Rocky. I don't think Rocky. Yeah. That's the only thing I think mm-hmm. of. It's the yeah. only thing I think of. It is, to me, one of the original movie songs. Like, it is, it's in my top, it's in my top five, to be sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely puts me right in the movie, puts me in that headspace. I think it's great. I think it's definitely in the conversation. Yeah. For Whenever best. I have a hard task I need to do in a short amount of time, I hear Eye of the Tiger in my head. It's it's the original like montage. Yes, it's song. it's like a motivator song. It's a montage yes. song. Yes, it's it's beautiful. Mm. Plus, my high school acapella choir sang it. Really? Oh my! Oh my! I, as you know, am a huge Tom Cruise fan, and I've been thinking about nothing else since our Mission Impossible episode. <laughs> Brandon, it's unhealthy when you say it that way. It's unhealthy, and which was we're like a get month ago at this point. Yeah, man. Take my breath away from Top Gun and Danger Zone also. You don't get Two both. My... You don't get both. Yeah, but that's... Okay. Yeah, I don't associate them with the movie. If I don't get both, that'd be rough. 
I for sure I don't, don't think of Take My Breath Away for Top Gun. Okay, I think I, of it for Ocean's I Eleven. I definitely do. Take My Breath Away? What? Yeah, there's in, the in Ocean's little Eleven? montage where Ruben describes how hard it is to get into yeah. out of a casino and yes. get shot. <laughs> the flamingo and whatever he says. That's right. It's 77 or something. So it belongs to Ruben. It doesn't belong to Cruz. Something strange in your neighborhood. Who you gonna call? Seth Rogen once said, when it comes to screen comedy, I just I prefer just a really well done simple burger when describing why movies like Gus, Ghostbusters are among his favorites. Do you agree? Is Ghostbusters a, a straightforward, delicious treat? And do you prefer dependable favorites to fancier comedic offerings? I think one of the one of the things that I like about this movie is, you know, I just heard a quote from Francis Ford Coppola about a different film. And he said, as, as a filmmaker, you never want to be pretentious. And I think that's especially true with comedy. I think we've seen a lot of comedies that don't work because they try to say something that really doesn't fit with the tone of the movie or the director tries to go. And here's my opinion on this. Ghostbusters is never pretentious. Like the whole mm-hmm. goal of Ghostbusters is to laugh, to have fun, to have a great time. And like, honestly, with comedies, that's what I want to do. I want to laugh a lot. I don't want to feel like I got preached at. I don't want to be bored. I don't want to be checking my watch. I just want to have from minute one to minute 90. I want to be laughing it up. Yeah, I think I might sound uneducated or uncultured or whatever. An uncultured swine, as Ham would say. But like like the fancy comedies like i think of like everything wes anderson churns out like i love those movies they're just not movies that really make me laugh i don't think of them as comedies even but they're classified that way right like they're classified as comedies right uh and a lot of like intellectual comedies that like you know they feel that way to me where what you just said they don't feel like comedies where these simple dependable you know, I, I really do think like the jokes in this movie land pretty well for the most part. Like there's some, you know, like dated elements for sure. Like, you know, I this is our second really Ronald Reagan-y movie in the past month or so uh, with uh, Back to the Future. It's, I don't really appreciate how you use that term. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just very like the EPA. Oh, no. but uh but for the most part i mean the the jokes like there's a joke like every 30 seconds and i feel like it it does land for me at least Mm -hmm. when i think of movies that maybe don't work comedies that maybe don't work i think of of a few things that like will ferrell has done Mm. i think of some things that adam sandler has done and where i feel like these or those movies get it wrong is there's this let's get these comedic geniuses in a room and just let them go at it. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, and that may work with some things like stand up or sketch comedy, but I feel like history has showed us how these formulas don't work in a movie. Mm -hmm. You know what it feels like to me? It's like having uh, an orchestra. And I feel like a lot of those Will Ferrell type movies, it's like, what if we had an orchestra of big loud trumpets? You know what I mean? Like it's, it's one note to me. Like it's a lot of yeah. loud voices. 
Whereas like some of the movies I feel like he does better. Uh, like you look at like the Adam McKay stuff he's done, right? And you got John C. Mm-hmm. Riley. I'm like, oh, that's a very different flavor for him to be joined by. Oh. So it balances out a little bit nicer. And yeah, this, like yeah. Ghostbusters, to bring it back to this, it's all about the ensemble. It's all about mm-hmm. these different, you know, players and how they play off each other. So that might right. that and might be something to it. Yeah, the dynamic between like the characters is really incredible in a movie like Ghostbusters because you have such a rich cast of characters to pull from and to enjoy. Like there's something about all their performances. And I think to go back to the burger analogy, I think with with burgers, (laughs) there's kind of like, you know, you like the burger, but it's I like when there's a little onion or when there's like this kind of lettuce or this kind of tomato. (laughs) A movie like Ghostbusters is like. Yeah, they're your toppings. I like this topping. I like that one. You like this? I like that. I feel like with Ghostbusters, someone might go, I think Venkman's super funny. I really like Rick Moranis. You really think that Dan Aykroyd's hilarious in this movie. Like, there's kind of like something aside from just the movie being fun with these characters that you can go like, but that's what really like makes it work for me. I gotta tell you too, it changes in the same way that burger topping preferences change throughout my life. Like, there was a time when I would not touch an egg on a hamburger. And now, Mm -hmm. uh, like, (laughs) I feel I yes, love please. it. And now, like, uh, rewatching it this time, I'm like, oh my gosh, everything Egon and the receptionists were doing together really sure. made me laugh. Harold Ramos was mm, really, yeah. really funny to me. So, yeah. Uh, and when, you know, when I was younger, it was all, it was all Bill Murray. And Bill Murray was my man. I had a flag of him in my room. But, uh, yeah, it just, it changes every time. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that Ghostbusters has going for it is it has a really great premise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, if anyone's kind of maybe going off book a little bit, I mean, they let, they let Bill Murray shine. They let him do his thing. That's oh, obvious for, here. Sure. In, when you. When you have Bill Murray, that's what you do. You let him do his thing. Um, Rick Moranis steals every scene he's in. Yeah, he's my favorite in the movie. I, he is I love fantastic. Him so much. And I was I was reading up on the movie a little bit, and Aykroyd <laughs> wrote the movie for Belushi instead of Murray, which I thought was interesting. Wow, that would have been a completely different movie. Yeah, and. They wanted John Candy for the for the Rick Moranis role, and he had all these weird ideas for the role, and they're like, "No, thank you, <laughs> thank goodness." Mick, Rick Moranis was perfect. Yeah. Can you imagine and how crass it would have been with Belushi instead of Murray? Because like, Murray, mm-hmm. his character, like Venkman, is a creep. He's so yeah. creepy, but oh, he has yeah. this like yeah. sheepish <laughs> way of delivering these super creepy lines that makes it uh, like sell to me. I'm like, I don't know why he gets away with what he says, and I love him, but Belushi yeah, would have made it disgusting, and I would have well, hated it. <laughs> Well, even to go back to Rick Moranis, if you had like a a John Candy, who I love, if you had like his type kind of like chatting up Sigourney Weaver, it would be a very different, very, very different movie. Whereas it works with Rick Moranis because like, even though he's like, you know, doing a funny voice and has the glasses, you never feel bad for him because he's like so confident and he just kind of like brushes off all of her rejections. (laughs) It's just like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll go back to whatever I was doing now. Like he just makes that he keeps that character from being kind of like a oh poor guy and makes him really funny oh my gosh every every time when he jumps out into the hallway because he hears yeah. the door close <laughs> really makes me laugh you know what yeah, it actually reminded me of i think andy samberg does a character real similar to this rick moranis role and this felt like the good version of yeah. some of those things that Andy Samberg does. They just felt, I, I know I've seen a character that's real similar uh, to this. And 
I mean, Rick Moranis is, is so good, so mm. good in this role, mm. so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every time, I mean, even when he's like, "Oh no, I'm fine. I feel great." <laughs> like that's something I hear in my head. Like I don't say it that much, but I, I hear that in my mind when someone's like, "How you doing?" Oh, I feel great. His yes. dinner party cracks me up, and that's why I invited clients and not friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. I do want to say something else, and I'm. It's interesting to hear you you say this, Mitch, about um, that it's, it's Ronald Reagan's favorite <laughs> ghost movie. I was thinking one of the and and I don't feel this way about all comedies because you know earlier I was saying we don't want them to be pretentious and you know we don't like it when they say things, which that's not necessarily true. I think it's like it's a delicate balance. Like one of my favorite comedies, "Thank You for Smoking," says a lot, and there's a lot under the surface with that movie, but at the same time, it's also very funny. And I think with a movie like Ghostbusters. There isn't kind of like a bigger, more pressing matter that's underneath. Like, it's not like a comedy, but also we're trying to say this about like, you know, yada yada. It's very similar to, again, like I feel like Back to the Future, which when we talked about like how it breaks a lot of these rules and it makes itself more charming by doing so, or like Mm -hmm. the characters, Mm -hmm. I feel like don't really have, you know, definable arcs and like you can you can like glean themes if you want like you could talk about like capitalism good regulation bad science defeats religion like you can it doesn't really matter the movie isn't really concerned with those things sure so yeah yeah, i i like it's famously like a lot of people said like ghostbusters is a movie about nothing and i think i tend to agree in some ways but that makes me more charmed by it for some reason yeah well, let's address the SNL-sized elephant in the room. Why does Ghostbusters succeed where MacGruber fails? What makes a comedy stand the test of time? Yeah, I mean, the first of all, MacGruber is bad. <laughs> two there. ends, just two ends of the spectrum with those Which two Which breaks my heart, because Will Forte... Is very like SNL has a lot of great players who just have yeah. not been able to transition to movies to blockbusters. Will Forte being one of them. He's a super funny guy. Well, yeah, I, I've said it before, and I'll probably say it again. I and after really thinking about it, I do think it is the characters because you know jokes they come and go. Jokes change with time. Mm-hmm. Like something that's funny today might not be funny tomorrow. A special effect that might look really cool in the '80s isn't going to look that awesome now. So it's kind of like you need to have the characters that you like. You need to have the characters that yeah. you understand. Like th- today, just for no reason, I rewatched Ted. Do you guys remember that movie? And like when Oof. it came out, everyone's like, "Oh, so funny! Wow. This movie's hilarious!" <laughs> we were also like, like well, fourteen when that came sure. out. I feel like, yeah, sure. I'm not condemning that, but I'm saying like when it came out, I was like, "So funny!" And like in preparation, I was like, "I remember that one being like pretty big with like the you know younger crowd." Why doesn't anyone talk about it now? And rewatching, I was like, "Yeah." A lot of these jokes, super dated. It's not the sense of humor anymore. And you don't have the characters that you want to rewatch the movie for either. Ted was big because of Family Guy, I think. Yeah, it totally just banked on that. I agree. Shelf life of like three weeks and, you know, we've moved on to other, other things. I think you're right, Zach. Characters are a main thing here, yes. a main element, a, a pillar of when you're building your perfect comedy. I think also great comedies are birthed. Uh, from really great ideas. Yeah. Mm. Uh, they don't skimp on the script. And you can really tell, and I've you know talked about this a little bit before, but you can really tell when a movie puts all its chips on a group of comedians. Yes. You know, and it may 
it may be funny once or it may have funny moments, but you know, many times uh, they don't end up being great movies. Mm. And also, side note, some of the like hardest laughing I've ever done has been when I've uh, been watching uh, movies that wouldn't necessarily be classified a comedy or like a television show that's not like a sitcom. Like some of my favorite moments or like funniest moments, things that I really find hilarious don't come from people trying to be funny. They come from like more of real life moments. And it's funny because mm-hmm. I don't like this person, but I was listening to Dan Harmon today in a podcast and he was talking about like when he was running the show community and he said like when it started to fire on all cylinders was when he understood because he's not a joke writer by trade that the best comedy comes from character moments it comes from characters acting believably how they would react and then you can make the world around it insane right right uh and i really i really do think that that's what makes these movies feel grounded even ramus talked about when they were making this movie they use something called the domino theory of reality, which is like, we can do ridiculous things. The individual choices, the interior logic inside of it needs to be believable, right? Would this mm. character do this thing? Yeah. Then, yeah, we can get from that to giant Stay Puft Marshmallow Man in 90 minutes. So yeah. I think that's a that's a great point. And I don't want to talk about television because this isn't a television podcast, but <laughs> that may be why sitcoms tend to do better than like a one-off comedy movie. You know, the writers have time and a lot of times yeah. you'll hear people say that the first season's not the best season of this show. You got to get to the second season. The you know, they the have character. time yeah. to work this stuff out, Absolutely. figure it out. What are we doing? What's funny? Like, and then these shows just, you know, take off like, you know, like a rocket, but Comedy movies, you have a finite amount of time to figure this out. What's going to be funny? You know, what's going to work on screen? Oh, for sure. Look at the difference between Michael Scott season one, season two, right? Uh, sure. The difference between yeah. Leslie Nope season one, season two. They're figuring out what they want to do with that character and what's the best yeah. iteration of it. And then they can really start to tell the story well. I also want to say, I mean, you mentioned the premise being important, right? And I think that's a huge thing. It's what you're what you're saying. But I also think like the designing principle of like how you tell the story is really, really important. Yeah. Because they took Dan Aykroyd's original concept, which was like, by the way, set in the future. It took place on different planets. It was very action heavy of them busting these ghosts. And Ramus was like, what if we told this as a going into business story and grounded it in New York City in mm. our reality? That's what mm-hmm. makes the movie work. Right. There's a million bad versions of this movie. Ramus figured it out. This is how we're going to make this movie work. Uh huh. Sometimes it takes that outside voice to like yeah. give your crazy idea like a perspective that makes it work. Sorry, Zach, I cut you off there. It's, it's OK. Well, I think about like some of the comedies that we've talked about on this show. You can tell when a comedy, you know, is also like throwing everything at the wall and being super silly and just going for it. Like you watch a lot of these comedies that like, you know, they don't really hold up because, Oh, they're self-aware or maybe they're just like, they're trying too hard or, or whatever. But then, you know, you think about Monty Python and the Holy grail and the princess bride, they're going for it. 
Like they're yeah. throwing everything at the wall. And I'm not saying that it works all the time, but because those films are so unafraid to be silly and they're so unafraid to fall on their face, I think that's why movies like that, you know, hold up. And and again, like if you can merge that with a character, like I just rewatched uh, School of Rock the other day and like Jack Black is not afraid to leave it all out there, oh, you know, but he's sure. also <laughs> such a great character too. Like that's a character you care about, a character that you like. And he's also holding nothing back it makes it all the more compelling to watch it's just like believing the like it reminds me of like when you're a kid and you're playing on the playground right and then there's like hey we're astronauts and then a kid's like and i have fire powers and like breaking the rules (laughs) like no that's not fun for us right we're playing a specific thing and it doesn't matter how ridiculous it is it's just following the rules that you've set up for the movie like even like something the original ghostbusters uh, does well is this technique of like a lot of scripts will use whatever you do we can't do this right and in this case it's don't cross the streams right so that way like it signals to the audience oh later in the movie when they cross the streams it's a big deal it's them following these rules they've set up for themselves along the way Whereas, and I don't want to dunk too much on the new one, but the new one is just like a series of escalation. And I really haven't been grounded in like, what are the rules here? What's going to happen if you jump in the wormhole? So I lose the sense of stakes and I lose the sense of reality because we haven't made a world that I understand. And the hard part with that, I think, is doing it in a fun way, right? Like you have to like establish the world quickly and well, while not making it this big world building long slog, you know, that's boring to watch. Humanity needs to be protected from ghosts, as we learned in this movie. But maybe Hollywood needs to be protected from its busters. Or better yet, why are we so protective of films and franchises from our childhood? So I have kind of a longer answer here, and this is really the way I feel about this. This honestly could be my closing thought also. This is this kind of encompasses the way I feel about some of these more nostalgic movies. And I think childhood is the last time we can remember liking something just because we liked it. Mm. We weren't reading reviews online or deciding what movies we love to sound smart mm. or cultured. We loved what we loved. You came up with your own set of criteria for what made a great movie. And when you find out 15 or 20 years later what critics were saying about your favorite movies at the time, or if for some reason your movie makes its way back into the news for a not so great reason, it hurts. It's that one nugget of cinematic innocence still left in your own personal zeitgeist. And I think that works. We've done a lot of movies that really were like our nostalgic picks and our childhood picks. Mm -hmm. And we, as, you know, as co-hosts have even gotten into arguments and gotten into, you know, gotten a little heat. Never. And maybe it, and maybe it happens (laughs) behind the scenes, you know, we've kept it, you know, we've kept it clean for the, for the mics when the mics were live, but you know, it hurts when someone attacks your childhood favorites. It's like that, Stay away from that. That was that's mine. That's precious to me. It it hurts, you know. Like it is, it is something that we guard with our lives. There is a heavyweight shaped hole in my heart that both of you just keep jabbing at. I mean, with, with little heavyweights, <laughs> hocus pocus. Like we've done it, Sandlot, Mighty Ducks, Monty we've Python, done them. we've done all these hocus oh pocus. My, here we go. We, 
Um, I approached I approached this question uh, a little bit differently than you did, Brandon. And I looked at it more as like everything's getting remade now, and I think that that's where yeah. a lot of like gatekeeping comes in, like the new Ghostbusters. Yeah, I, I watched the trailer for the 2016 one, and I was just like, not a great trailer, but these are some funny people. Like you know, pretty good yeah. director. I guess I'll check this out. Sure. But I was like pretty surprised to see the internet react like, stay away from this. And then, you you know, you even look at movies like, you know, Star Wars. When The Last Jedi came out, people were like, Ryan Johnson didn't care about what I wanted. And I think that there's that people think, you know, to some degree <laughs> when they see someone like taking on something from their childhood or something that they're nostalgic for almost as the filmmaker saying, I can do this thing that you love better. And yeah. I think that, you know, for us, what we had was so great. And that's why, you know, even with making, you know, sequels, like, please don't make a sequel unless you, you know, unless you could do it good. Or like with Indiana Jones, like, please don't do what you did again. I think that there's a big level of if you make another version of this thing that I love and it's bad, it's going to detract from this thing that I love. And that's 100% not true. Yes. But I think that for some people it's, well, now I'm always going to have to link you know, the fact that this movie got a bad remake or got a bad sequel and I'm going to have to like, you know, think about the franchise as a whole rather than just the one thing I don't like. And I really don't think that that's the case. Yeah, it really bums me out when people are like, the new thing tarnishes the old. I'm like, how? How does how does it do that? I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm with both of you. I think like in my heart, Brandon, I'm leaning where you are of like, I just enjoyed it. I didn't examine the thing critically. And now it feels like you're bullying me on the playground. Like <laughs> I, <Yeah>. I wasn't, <laughs> I didn't come prepared for a, a fist yeah. fight. I didn't know you're going to take my milk money. So yeah, it feels, <laughs> it feels a little bit like that. I think intellectually I lean with you, Zach, where like, there's this part of me that like, now that I do think about movies that way, movies are not just entertainment to me. They're art. You know, it's something that, yeah. you know, I care about how they're made. So it's a bummer to me when like studios like essentially cash in by like yeah. with a paint by numbers remake instead of making something new that's interesting and that we mm -hmm. might need. So, yeah, I mean, I, it's both for me, for sure. Right. And, and also not to backpedal here, but you know, to even speak about Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters is not something that I'm especially I'm actually not nostalgic for Ghostbusters at all. I didn't see this movie until I was an adult. And, you know, when I watched it, I was like, this was a really funny comedy. And man, I really liked it. But there was a group of people who, like, because I didn't praise the ground that Ghostbusters walked on, they were yes. just like, oh, you don't, you don't like it. I was like, I do. I think it's funny. I think it's a good movie and I like it. But you don't think it's the best comedy ever? Like, no, I don't. But I think it's really, really good. And I think, you know, again, back to Welcome to Is It Really, the, the podcast that challenges, you know, I think that for there's also a level of people who are just joining the movie watching party. And so when sure. they come into something that you've really built up into your mind, like Brandon was saying, it's like, this is the gold standard of like what I think a genre is. And someone goes, yeah, it's pretty good. You know, like right, they right. haven't said anything bad. They just don't love it the same way that you do. And I think that there needs to be room for that rather than just like silencing anyone who has a different opinion than you. There right. is this super 
uncomfortable situation when like have you ever like shown a friend a movie or something and you're like <laughs> hoping they're gonna love it and you're like yeah. watching i'm not even watching the movie I'm just and you watching glance them. over yes. at them at all the funny parts <laughs> they're and, on their phone yes. or whatever yeah and i'm like oh. laughing extra loud so they'll join me like oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is the part you're supposed to laugh yeah. you heard me right take cues from me <laughs> everyone just enjoy this from you. <laughs> like put it in my pocket i do feel like if there is something that I've spent a lot of time with, and I'm thinking specifically about like Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, you know, some of these franchises that I've spent a lot of time with, if I know like someone's maybe seen it for the first time or they're just now kind of getting into it and they take a shot at it, I'm going to be like, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? You know, like I'm yeah. going to question yeah. like yeah, it will, right. it'll hit me. Like this is something I've spent a lot of time with. I think I know better than you about, the, you know, so like I do right. totally stack up what's your qualifications. I need to see why you feel like you can speak on this movie critically. Mm. And obviously, like we said, everyone's entitled to their opinion. It's just something I think I naturally kind of fall into when something is precious to me. Yeah. And, and to me mm. also, I think there's a level of, there's kind of two levels of when someone doesn't like it. And the one is kind of like, in my mind, righteous anger, but then there's also yeah. like disappointment, like to kind of go back when Brandon said he didn't like Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I didn't get angry. I was <laughs> yeah. like, man, Aww. I'm so, I was like, I'm so sad that you didn't like it. And like, I'm sorry that you had to like spend 90 minutes yeah. watching a movie that you didn't find funny. Like, but that's a great example. That's yeah. a perfect example. Actually. Like that's first time seeing it. And we've, tried to discover or explore, you know, different environmental things that may contribute to think, you know, why it might've been funny for someone not, for, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's just me trying to justify why I don't love one of the best comedies of all time. But <laughs> I think there is some of that. You bring your situation with you into these right. movies. And I think that does make them different for everyone. Well, yeah, the, it raises the bar. Like when I watched Ghostbusters for the first time, there was a level. I was like, all right, I know that everybody loves this movie. Take yeah. me away. Whereas I think sure. when the audience that saw Ghostbusters was going in, they're like, here's some guys from SNL that I like and a couple of comedians that I like who are doing this cool action movie. And Sigourney Weaver is here also. And I you know, know that she's an alien and stuff like that. Oh, this is a cool movie. And I think that that's kind of the appeal that a Ghostbusters has is people going like, this movie's really, really cool. Like you should check it out. It's cool. It's funny. You should watch it. And then it gets to a point where as time goes on and we pass it on to other people, it adds like it gains a certain level of reverence where like Ghostbusters is just cool and it's just funny. It's like a basic straightforward comedy. Are you ready for Mitch's political corner? It Do reminds it. me of when like <laughs> someone like protests or makes a criticism of something that the government is doing. And then there's a camp that's like, by doing that, you don't like America or you need mm -hmm. to get out of the country because you don't love. Or it's, it's like, I mean, you said it before, Zach, like people treat this like a sacred text, right? So it's like when someone like, huh, this one part of the Bible makes me feel kind of weird. And they're like, oh, well, you hate the Lord, right? Like, and that's not what it is. That's not what it is at all. And I feel that way about movies too. Yeah, like if we treat, if we treat like things like they're beyond reproach or beyond examination, then man, I just don't want to live in that world. You know what I mean? Especially like, with, well, especially with movies. Yeah, there's, I know they're not that important. Yeah. Like who 
cares? Yeah. It's a movie. Like, relax. <laughs> there are no sacred cows. So, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. Like, there's a group of dudes online. And I'm sorry, like, there is a gender yes, uh, there split is. here. There like, is. dudes dudes on the internet, scary, scary place. They're just... Mm. Uh, but who are, yeah, they treat this like a sacred text. And they're like, oh, you didn't like every How aspect dare of you Rick do Moranis? this with... Yeah. How dare you do this? Like, it broke my heart to say I didn't like the Ghostbusters with women because I was like, I don't want to be on their side. But the movie wasn't funny. And right, like, I didn't have right. a good time watching it. I have no problem that it's with women, but I I kind of want to not be so harsh because I don't want to be with you guys. I know. There is this <laughs> cultural pressure sometimes to see movies, to not see movies, because there's these camps of the fans who've responded to them very publicly. Yeah. I don't want to get too far into the Ghostbusters remake thing just because... We're three, you know, straight white dudes again, like, uh, you know, like, hey, there are a lot of misogynists who responded very poorly to that movie, right? Like, I feel yeah. like we could, like, yeah. say it that way. But, you know, it it is hard because when there's this pressure to how did you respond, and based on your response, that's going to tell me, the third party, something about your values. I think that is a tricky situation. Like, similarly, mm-hmm. like, when Joker came out, like, there were a lot of people who were, like, watching everyone, like, did you go to see Joker? are you a bad person? And then like, you know, with <laughs> Ghostbusters, did you not go to see Ghostbusters? Are you a Do bad you- person? I don't know. Like, I think there's, there's something to that. Like we should support things financially that are worthy of support. And we should not support things that put bad things in the world. I'm not saying, you know, that's not valuable, but at the end of the day, it's just like, wait, we say, it's just movies. Y'all. Can we relax a little bit? Like, can we just, <laughs> Instead of like, this is the skeleton key for who you are as a person. Maybe it's just like I was curious about a movie and I had some thoughts. I don't know. Well, fellas, any final thoughts on Ghostbusters? Anything to wrap up what we've been talking about here? I know we've said a lot. To me, as someone, once again who this is not a precious movie for. I really love it. I really think that Ghostbusters is super funny, and I think that it's super good. And I think that there's some more territory that can be explored with with this. You know, I was actually quite interested in the Ghostbusters Afterlife thing that they were doing. I thought it was kind of a cool premise. I was ready to see what that was going to be. But it wouldn't ruin Ghostbusters for me, you know? And I think that we will always have Ghostbusters. If you don't want to go see these remakes and these new versions because, you know, they feel like cynical cash grabs to you or just because they don't look very good, that's up to you. You know, you don't have to explain yourself to anybody about, you know, why you're going to see movies. But if you love Ghostbusters and you think, like, there's more territory to be explored, there's more world to get into, and I'm kind of down for that, then you should take a chance on some of this other stuff. Because again, nothing can hurt the original Ghostbusters. You're always going to have Venkman and Stance and Egon and Ernie Hudson, I forget his name, and Rick Moranis and Karen. That will always be there. So you could try something new, and if you don't like it, you don't have to pick it up. Yeah, I think Ghostbusters at its very core is is a quality comedy. I think that's one thing that helps set it apart from other comedies. And, you know, we've talked a lot about nostalgia and we've talked about characters and premise. And I think 
I think simply the, the Ghostbusters fires on all cylinders. It checks all boxes. It does the things you want with a comedy. And when those things happen, I feel like they tend to form followings. When things are this good, they tend to form followings. And, you know, I think it, and it, and it can become toxic. And I think we've kind of identified ways in which that's not, it's not great. It's not welcoming to newbies who would like to maybe explore the Ghostbusters world. It's not, you know, it's not friendly, but I think if we can kind of set those things aside and enjoy Ghostbusters with kind of a new wave of busters, I think it is it is a fun time and it's quality. I think there are ways in which this stands the test of time more so than other comedies. Mm. Yeah, and for me, when I think of, you know, we talked about other Saturday Night Live movies and stuff like that. I think a lot of comedies that don't work as well tend to rely on the strength of the character work delivered by these actors who are, especially in the sketch comedy world, like they're used to a live studio reaction. It doesn't always mesh with this longer process of a blockbuster. And the scripts are often just not as well written. They're often just moving from bit to bit rather than, you know, really having a longer feel to it, like a, an arc that's going to work for the entire movie. Uh, that is not the case for me with the original Ghostbusters. I think you've got, I mean, four comedic legends that we really can see ourselves in. Uh, you know, Ray, Peter, Egon, or Winston. Uh, you know, you've got the cynical person, you've got the pragmatic person, you've got the curious person, you've got the giddy as a kid on Christmas person. And we'd mentioned, you know, like, I don't think Ghostbusters is a movie that's saying a ton. Uh, but for me, growing up, like, one of the big things when I would watch this is, like, this is a movie about a group of, like, weirdos and eccentric people who, like, embrace their, you know, eccentricities and their oddities. And through that, they find community. So to tie that to, like, what we're talking about with, like, fandom, like, it is a betrayal of Ghostbusters to me if you use this to gatekeep or to not, you know, let people into the club. I just think of, like, Venkman, like, human sacrifice, mass hysteria, dogs and cats living together. Like, it's crazy <laughs> how seriously, like, some people take some of these properties and these franchises. I think whether you've seen the original or not, like... Ghostbusters has a place for you. You, you. you like Slimer, you like a bunch of goofiness, you know, you like to laugh. You're going to have fun, right? Let's not take this super seriously. Ghostbusters exemplifies to me just a good, fun time. And that's what it should be for everyone. So what I think I hear you saying is that Ghostbusters is a group of weirdos who unite under their weirdness to come together to create something beautiful. So essentially what you're saying is that we... The real boys are Ghostbusters. Thank you for joining us for our episode on the cult classic Ghostbusters. We hope you enjoyed yourselves. We would love to hear your opinion on our episode or any other movie related topic. So if you haven't already, hop on over to our Facebook page and join the conversation. We can be found at Real Boys Podcasts. We have also been trying to run some of our episode questions past you guys and see what you have to say. All of that, plus a deeper dive into our episode topics, happens in our private Facebook group, The Real Lounge. If that sounds like something you'd like to be a part of, ask us about it. We'd love to have you. And don't forget, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a little spare time and you like what you hear, we would love it if you would take a minute to rate and review our podcast. We appreciate your support. 
Well, we'll be back in two weeks with an episode that we've honestly been talking about doing since we started this crazy ride almost two years ago. We are dedicating an entire episode to all things Adam Sandler. Things could get out of hand on this one, so I would definitely keep an eye out for this episode to drop. We'll see you then.